Welcome to Josh's Worst Nightmare Podcast presented by Denver Horror Collective. I'm your host, Josh Schlossberg, surveying the dark landscape of biological horror fiction. For this episode, we have the pleasure of speaking with Mike Marcus. Mike Marcus grew up in Southern Maryland before moving to Pittsburgh 13 years ago. He only started writing short stories three years ago, yet is already published in horror fiction anthologies and others coming out soon, including his short story, Prey, in the anthology Dark Nature from Macabre Ladies Publishing and In the Red in the Jewish Book of Horror, the forthcoming anthology I edited for Denver Horror Collective due out on Halloween. So welcome to my nightmare, Mike. <laughs> Thanks, Josh. It's great to have you on tonight. Yeah, well, I'm really glad that you're here because this topic I'm really excited about. So for every episode, I invite on horror writers to talk about an aspect of biological horror, which I characterize as living creatures, vital processes relevant to their writing. So this episode, we're going to be talking about eco-horror. So that is what your story was in that Dark Nature anthology. There's this other anthology that came out a couple of years ago called Mother's Revenge. There's more and more of these happening. So what do you think? Uh, why do you think all of a sudden this is occurring in the, the horror world? I think we're heading into like a, a golden age of eco horror. Um, I think that we're people are more aware of the environment around them as, than they've ever been before. And they're more aware of the changes in it. Um, if you think back over the decades and even two centuries at this point, um, most stories and, and most people have been focused very much on their own community. You know, we're all interconnected so much now that we know about what's going on on the other side of the planet with the click of a button. Um, so we're more aware of the global environment and eco-horror really ties into that because focusing on those big environmental changes um, and what happens to humanity as a result is pretty terrifying if you think about it. Yeah, I think you're right that we're knitted together more and we're looking at that whole global environment. And of course, things are getting worse in many regards in terms of climate change, mass extinction of species, ecological unraveling as a whole. So it's more and more relevant. And it's good that the horror world is, I don't want to say catching up to it because it has existed. There have been plenty of eco horror books written over the decades, particularly like in the 70s and 80s. So I have a collection of dozens and dozens of basically I call it biological horror, which is the larger, broader brush, but the eco horror aspect of different critters, basically it's kind of the same theme. There's like, we screw up the nature world and then the monsters, they turn, the natural world turns into monsters or different creatures get revenge on us. And uh, yeah, I think it, what's great is that really, if you think about the time period that that kind of sort of monster environmental horror started really comes about after the nuclear age. That's when we started look, thinking about like, okay, what are we doing to the world with this? You know, the the classic, of course, is Godzilla. I mean, Godzilla is the, the classic story of human interaction via nuclear testing and what comes about from that. Um, Them was a great one. It's a film uh, about giant ants resulting from nuclear exposure. Um, so it's, I think, with the rise of nuclear energy and 
the use of nuclear bombs around the world and the fears that came around from that, you know, the monster kind of aspect to it came about. Um, then you get into the, the larger scheme where it's like, okay, so how's the world changing in whole because of it too? Right. Yeah, it does seem to be when it came on the scene. And yeah, I think of these giant spiders coming out of the desert. There were definitely many iterations of that same theme. And then you think about it, it's what's interesting, I think, about where we're headed with eco horror um, is, you know, horror stories have the most impact when you can relate an individual's feelings and emotions, what's happening to them in that moment and get your reader or viewer to, to feel that. And I think we're seeing more and more of that tied into eco horror because we're getting those stories and those uh, films out there that really puts you right in the middle of it. Even, even more recent ones, um, The Happening back from 2008 was a great example that really helped you kind of connect with the trauma of, you know, an airborne toxin being released by plants, which cause humans to kill themselves in theory because of overpopulation. You know, you, that film itself really pulls you in and, and really has some great moments in it. Even if it didn't do all this well in the box office, uh, in terms of horror writing, it's, it's got some great points. Yeah, there have been a ton of films that definitely play into all that. There have been things about alligators. I forget what that was called recently, but it was this woman. Mm -hmm. She gets caught in her house during a flood. So, you know, the, the alligator monster creature kind of stuff. And a lot of folk horror more and more is tying into that. And that's an angle that I'm mm -hmm. super interested in. I'm working on a novel right now, which is Jewish ecological folk horror. So I'm just going to cram it all in one box. But but using the natural world, which is a very common theme, of course, with folk horror is typically in the natural world, somewhere remote in nature. And often they're trying to rejuvenate crops. Those are the traditional ways of doing it. But a recent yep. one I watched was In the Earth, which uh, Wheatley mm. is the director. And it was basically about mm -hmm. a forest and things going on in the forest. So certainly horror is no stranger to this topic, but I think there's more of a pointed commentary now and and i think i think yeah i think the two two of the major components maybe were the nuclear age and then now more climate change which are those two two big topics absolutely i think those were yeah and it's interesting i did a bit of i love some of the old literature i'm a big fan of poe in that time period and i was really interested because i actually found that that Lord Byron actually did a, a poem in 1816, um, an apocalyptic end of the world and one man's survival kind of piece that was actually tied to the eruption of a volcano in 1815. Um, so, you know, that sense of the natural world driving our fears is not a new one in terms of the environment. Um, it's been around for a long time, and I think we're actually just going to see more and more of it as we move through the next couple of decades yeah yeah well the natural world being something that is very precarious to live it of course has always been a theme when we used to live closer to nature and now it seems to have a little bit of a different edge like before it was nature just being uh indifferent to us and it potentially letting us die or whatever now it's kind of like we're doing things to nature 
and then it's in a sense we're hurting ourselves by hurting nature so it's coming around to bite us in the ass absolutely and that's that's actually it's a great time because that's actually the theme of the entire dark nature anthology that macabre ladies are publishing that has the story of mind in it prey it's it's mother nature striking back basically um and so it's it's interesting we're seeing that that trend in horror pop culture and in horror films and, and novels and stories where it's it's very directed as terms of what we've done is coming back to bite us in the ass like you said i think one of the pieces i really like about her also is the look that they're doing in terms of in a lot of the stories it's not just man versus nature as it was in say the the older stories where it was about survival within nature but it's what is nature doing to humanity you know how is society changing um, and being warped because of the environment that it's in at that point you know when you're dealing with massive hurricanes flooding you know new deserts you know expansion of deserts and, and destruction of ecosystems we all don't just pick up and move because of that and and what these stories present in terms of how society changes is almost just as scary as what nature's doing yeah well it seems to have almost it's a built-in moral with you destroy the environment the the environment destroys you and uh there are a lot of ways to touch on that can you talk a little bit about your short your short story prey without giving too much away <laughs> sure so um it really takes a look it, it takes a very close look at a single man's interactions with nature um a, an old school farmer who basically feels you know the world is there for him to harvest and do what he wants with um and he unfortunately pisses off the wrong woman if you can see where that goes is going with a mother nature story and uh all of those things that he's reaped over the years to come back to visit upon him so it's 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 kind of a fun short story um it, visiting that with kind of a, a nice twist to it I, I grew up in a farming community i've worked on farms um so it was interesting to kind of take that background from growing up and knowing to some degree some reality to it but take those stereotypes and really blow them out in the story cool it sounds like it almost has a folk horror twist where does it take place specifically um, I actually left it vague. Um, so you could really take this piece um, and really apply it to pretty much any farming community in the country. It's, it's, I left it very open-ended in terms of that. It's just for that. I like to be able to take those stories and unless there's a specific reason to put them in a very specific location, leaving it a little more vague so it, it's easier to connect. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So does it- And I think a story like this and what I'm trying to say in it really does sort of apply I, I wouldn't want to shoehorn it into tobacco farms of southern maryland where i grew up and have it not connect with somebody from the midwest or from the south or you know let them kind of see the pieces and, and use the stereotypes to help connect it sure yeah well farming obviously happens pretty much anywhere so that can be a universal kind of thing do you get yeah. into the idea of farming as in cultivating the earth and that sort of stuff like what do you what do you touch upon in that regard really this one is it leans more towards uh almost an over harvesting hmm. um it, it's 
uh, a, a reaping that is not intended just for to feed people and not to produce, just to produce food, um, but to support the farmer's ego more than anything. And so I like the idea that, you know, I like the, the concept of balance with nature that, you know, we can farm and harvest and work with within the nature without altering it so severely that it, it lashes back upon us. This main character in this short story definitely doesn't do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's kind of what the equation always is. It's finding that balance. So we're a part of the natural world, of course, in many ways, but in other ways, we're very separate. We've created our human environments that are still dependent on the natural world, but do feel very, very different. And farming can certainly be done in a way that can be closer to the earth, right? Like you're saying, taking what we need and stuff like that, but then it can go too far. And we have these giant agribusinesses that of course you look at those landscapes, it doesn't feel like it's balanced. And of course, some people will take the critique all the way back to when we were hunter gatherers and then started to cultivate plants and then get into farming. So that was a major transition in our human mm -hmm. civilization society. And, and that's where that's probably where the, the imbalance began. Although there's a lot of evidence that even uh, hunter gatherers kind of overhunted sometimes their, uh, the creatures, but. Yeah, sure. Well, if you think about like, uh, even think about the Midwest, if just going back to the Dust Bowl, you know, that there, the, the Dust Bowl effect and the sudden decrease in farming and production from the areas because we, overproduced out of that area and basically ripped out all of the natural plants that were keeping the soil in place and without realizing it we loosened everything up so much that windstorms could just take all of the fertile soil out and suddenly nothing's growing anymore right yeah and of course we've done it in lots of different ways we've deforested and talking just about the u.s mm -hmm. and things like that so there there's certainly well fertile ground, so to speak, for this genre of humans going in there and messing things up and then us paying the price in the end. My, my wonder about this genre, as much as I love it, is, is it kind of going to be the same story told over and over again, the way a lot of folk horror is? It's like, oh, you go to the place, they're normal. No, they're not. You know, so it, so do you, do you have concerns at a certain point, it's just going to be the same story told over and over. I do. I, I worry that this sort of eco horror um, will play itself out that every story becomes Mad Max. Mm -hmm. You know, that everyone, it's this loner who's out there surviving in a, a, a desolate environment and comes across, you know, clans of people who have, have banded together and, and trying to take advantage of or 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 kill the the loner and those pieces I, I worry that it's going to go kind of the easy route with that you know that's sort of the easy storytelling that that comes with it um, because it eliminates really the, the root cause behind it in terms of what happened to the environment why it happened um, but I also think there's so much that we can do with the genre in terms of the different environments how it's affecting us and and it's got a nice connection where in theory 
you know, you could tie science fiction into this in terms of trying to flee these environments. You know, some of them, the, the most recent really successful science fiction, fiction films have had that same kind of aspect to it. You know, the home environment has gone bad, whether it's because crops won't grow, because the environment has turned bad. And that's the driving element behind them wanting to leave the earth. So the, the whole eco horror piece has an interesting genre as well. Certainly. And I have a book in my hand right now. It's called The Drowned World by J.G. Ballard. And that was written in 1962. And it's basically a book about the earth flooding more or less through kind of climate change and then yeah, figuring out what they're going to do with it. And there's this book in 1978 called Heat, and it was literally about climate change going crazy. So that was in 1978. So, mm -hmm. yeah, to a certain degree, maybe some of the low hanging fruit has been plucked. And I think those stories should be told, obviously, since this is a, a newer reemerging genre or it's kind of like solidifying the way folk horror was around forever, mm -hmm. people just didn't name it. So now that we're naming this eco horror, I do mm -hmm. think those basic tales should be told, but yeah, I think it's gonna have to evolve and I'm sure it will because whoever's right. editing the anthologies mm -hmm. and stuff like that are like, okay, well, how can we tell this story in a different way? So I, I like that sci-fi angle and and yep. you know maybe figure out other, other planets. Although my fear with that is, yeah, we go to another planet just to do the same thing we did to this one maybe do the same thing over again <laughs> right so it's like yeah, and, and figure think, it out first yeah, here. i think this is going to be an interesting couple of decades yeah and, and i think this is going to be interesting moving forward with eco horror with generational changes because i think you've got a younger generation writing now and coming up reading these stories and going to be writing and, and creating content on their own as well who look at the environment very differently than the generations before us have, you know, it, it's, they're looking at what we've done to it. And, and, you know, environmental awareness is very different at this point than it was 30 years ago. Very true. Yeah. No question about that. It's become pretty mainstream. And I worked as a an environmental organizer for years and then I was environmental journalist and I still, write about stuff like that and incorporating it more into my my work and i have been in the biological horror stuff nature-based horror which is why i'm jealous of you for getting in that anthology and i i didn't i don't think i heard of it um <laughs> i want to get to the point where, where they're asking me to submit so if you're putting out a, a nature-based horror anthology that's ask my me. dream as well believe me <laughs> Well, yes, we'll get yeah. there someday. That's, uh, that's, that's my dream as well. Yep. <laughs> well, it's awesome that you got in there. And there was another fellow from uh, Jewish Book of Horror who was also in that same anthology, Rami Ungar. So that's pretty cool that two of the Jewish Book of Horror authors are represented in this Dark Nature anthology. I love that. Yeah, I, so I noticed that the other day and I was like, huh, that's the... the the odds in that have to be pretty low. So it was it was fun to, to and Rami and I've connected on social media and um, just like I have with a, a lot of the other authors in the anthologies I've been with. And it's been a, a great resource connecting with other authors. Like you said at the beginning, I've only been doing this for a couple of years now um, and being able to, to connect and share 
um, when different anthologies may be out, you know, contributions and things like that. It's, it's been really good to, to connect that way with people. Yeah, absolutely. It kind of brings people together. And, and that's well something I was thinking about in terms of where the eco horror thing might have to go. So obviously right now it's like nature's precious and nature will kill us if we mess around with it. What if it just goes back to old school or reverts to nature is this dangerous, deadly place and we have to do everything we can to eradicate it. The way people thought about when the settlers, the colonists came to the new world, they thought of the forest as just Satan's abode and they wanted to destroy it for that. I mm -hmm. think I think it would be cool to write a kind of a contrarian story, even though I don't personally believe that nature is evil. Mm -hmm. To keep things spicy, we might have to uh, have a story from that perspective. So maybe I'll write the anti-environmental eco horror, even though <laughs> it's against my beliefs. <laughs> Gotta mix you, it you up. can take it. You can go very Jonathan. I was say you can go a very Jonathan Swift angle with it. You know, make it right. just so absurd that it's it's obvious what you're saying. Right, right. So basically, a parody of that, a satire. That could be that could be fun too. Or, right. or maybe it's just like somebody who is a an industrialist who's just like, no, nature is here to sub subjugate, mm -hmm. and I'm going to write a story about it. I mean. If I had an anthology and somebody mm -hmm. wanted to have an anti-nature story, you know, a, a alongside 15 pro-nature stories, if it's a good story, I'd consider that. Oh, yeah. Well, what's funny is that mentality is actually, I mean, I live in Pittsburgh now. I mean, this is a city that was built on the steel industry, and there's still some old timers here. And, and Pittsburgh's come a long way, even in the 13 years I've lived here, um, to really you know, clean up the environment and, and areas that were filled with steel mills um, and the rivers were, you know, completely polluted at that point. It's a great environment now. They've done amazing things, but there's still old timers are around who are like, tear it all down, build more mills. Um, and so writing a story from that point of view wouldn't be that far off from, from a good percentage of people still. It reminds me of there's this talking head song called nothing but flowers. And mm -hmm. it basically talks about a nature apocalypse when nature comes back yet. The, the protagonist in the song, if there is such a thing is basically singing about everything is flowers, everything is cornfields and blah, blah, blah. But he's talking about how he misses pop tarts and Seven Eleven and stuff like that. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I'm not going to bash pop tarts and Seven Eleven, but, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We can have both. There's no reason we can't have both. But yeah, Pittsburgh is an example of almost like eco horror. Yeah, we, 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 again, we got to find a balance. Right, a balance. But Pittsburgh is like eco horror in yeah. reverse. <laughs> like where you, it, it, the folks there, it was very yeah. industrial, it was torn apart, and then you've sort of regenerated the landscape. So that's definitely a positive story. Yeah, it's they've done amazing things in this city. Like, it's interesting going to the history center here and, and talking to friends and family who've been here for decades um, and worked at had family members working in the steel mills. You know, it was hell with the lid off at one point was the description of Pittsburgh because of the mills running 24 um, seven. And, but now when you come and see this, it's such a, you, there's traces of it that you still see but it's very recognized that, that that's not the way things need to be and how 
the being more environmentally focused and friendly is the future for Pittsburgh. Sure. Yeah. So you got three rivers there and it's supposed to be beautiful. I haven't, yep. I haven't been there, but I've known people who have lived there and yeah, it reminds me of, uh, so a lot of the, the eco horror of the past, so I was basically thinking of rivers and I was thinking of there have rivers used to catch mm -hmm. on fire, like in Ohio, because of all the industrial waste in Cleveland. Waste. Yep. Right. Cleveland. And a lot of the eco horror I have from the seventies and eighties is basically it's ridiculous creatures that take revenge. Mm -hmm. So I, I have books about it's like slugs, roaches, um, mm -hmm. like, of course, you know, the birds, the, I forget the, uh, the original author of that, yep. not, not, a. so the movie Hitchcock movie, not but Hitchcock's it was film, but the, yeah, the book, but the birds, I forget, uh, Daphne, something like Dumas, I don't remember, um, mm -hmm. Daphne de Maurier or something <laughs> like that. Close enough, whatever. But, uh, there's other weird creatures. Yeah. yeah. They can, They're, they can find her online if we'd be. Exactly. But I like the idea of taking <laughs> the ridiculous creatures that are not typically frightening and then making those frightening, mm -hmm. but you run the risk of making it a little bit campy, but I, I really like that stuff too. Oh yeah. I think if you're going to get like, you can't beat camp at times. Like, I mean, my favorite in that sort of genre of pollution turned monster kind of thing has got to be the toxic Avenger. I mean, it's the, the epitome of, of that concept with the most camp as possible. Yeah, well, he definitely was pretty on the nose there. He had a mop, right? He was a janitor, so he's cleaning up. He's trying to clean up the environment yes. and, and stuff like that. Yep. yep. Yeah, and strangely, that makes me think of RoboCop because there's the scene where, which is definitely not an eco-horror movie, but no. there's, a, there's a scene where there's toxic waste and he goes in and he starts melting and, and things falling apart. So, I mean, Oh, right. In a sense, it's a commentary, right? There, I think there's a lot of that commentary and, and more and more as we just accept that, yes, you don't have to be a hippie to care about nature, that it's economically a smart thing to do to not ignore your resource base if you want to survive as a species. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, we're seeing it not only in, in short stories and in, in smaller you know, publications or, or B movies kinds of things. I mean, the, the day after tomorrow from 2004 was a huge blockbuster film specifically right. about what we've done to the environment and how it comes back to bite us. Yeah. That made it pretty mainstream. And of course, some people were like, what, this is such an exaggeration. I was like, well, yeah, it was a blockbuster movie. Of course, that was the point. It was supposed yeah, to be an yeah. exaggeration. Yeah. But, but, but what was interesting though, was off of that came you know, the, the one hour science specials that were the legitimate science that showed how, okay, yeah, this was blown, you know, the timeline was inc incredibly shortened um, and the effects, you know, intensified, but, you know, these small actions that we're doing now or see or, or effects that we're seeing now could turn into something similar to this down the line. So it's interesting to see how you can have a pop culture aspect of eco horror then drive science education well yeah and basically the documentaries and you read the books about the stuff i mean the stuff that i've been working on for years as an environmental activist that already was eco horror right like 
it's the facts are eco horror. Oh yeah. But I guess the the question yeah. is what? Oh, does, absolutely. So what does eco horror as a fiction genre try to do? Obviously, you know we do want to have a message and a moral behind it, care about nature, I guess, but it should also be, it's got to be entertaining. It's got to be a good story. It's got to have good characters because otherwise you just, it's just propaganda, right? So I don't know. Right, nobody's going to go to, to, nobody's going to sit through an entire novel of being lectured at by the, about environmental activism. There's, there's got to have that connection um, to the characters to really draw you in and make it readable. Right. And that's the tricky thing. So you need to find an author that knows enough about these issues, cares enough about these issues to write them convincingly, who's a good storyteller. Because if they're just some activist who's like, I'm going to write a book, well, you might not have the chops for that. And I, I think horror is the perfect genre to doing it. So I've, I've dabbled in that a little bit. I wrote a story called Chronic Cold, which was basically about <laughs> elk and deer and moose going crazy with chronic wasting disease which is a real thing and then i make it ridiculous because mm. it's a horror story but um sure <laughs> that to me was fun and, and it's talking about a real thing but I, I make the story i hope exciting for this woman it's basically mm-hmm. uh an intense winter with tons of snow so all these animals come down from the mountains for forage and then they're in the city and then she has to deal with them and uh, i tried to make just mm-hmm. a normal deer scary to the point that my friends in denver horror collective always make <laughs> they always make fun of me for making it a deer the <laughs> the monsters but uh that 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 should be our new challenge what is the what is the friendliest animal possible that we can term scary well that's i think where we need to go you know. with we need to do that we have to reinvent new interesting things we can't just write a story mm-hmm. about a bear over and over again oh the killer bear like you know it's like what about right. the the killer earthworm or something fun like that chipmunks the killer chipmunks that could be a good one there there could be a lot of that could be a good one the killer chipmunks could be good a chip chip off the old block eh, <laughs> come up with a better title than that i don't know we'll come up with something yeah we'll come up with something for that one but we will have to convince another another anthology of dark dark nature horror to to follow up this one. Well, I was considering doing one, and then I looked online. I saw this uh, Mother's Revenge anthology. I'm like, oh well, they already did a really good job of that, and then these other ones are coming out. So I was like, maybe maybe I'll sit <laughs> back a little bit. But, yeah. But I might I might do one because that is definitely in my wheelhouse, and I guess it depends on how my ecological jewish folk horror novel that i'm (laughs) working on does where i I do try to you know i get i get the morals in there but i guarantee you it's going to take people where they don't they don't expect it and uh we'll see we'll see if people are into Mm -hmm. that or not but um to finish up mike what are you working on now and uh yeah what's what's on your plate so i've got a handful of pieces i'm working on um in addition to the ones that you talked about that are coming out um with prey coming out in dark nature um and in the red with the jewish book of horror both coming out around halloween um i've got a, a piece that was just recently signed on north view terrace 
uh, is going to be in the 2021 Bethlehem Anthology, um, The Color Out of Bethlehem from Grinning Skull Press. Um, and then I'm working on a couple of pieces right now for a couple of anthologies for late this year, early next year. Um, I'm working on another piece for uh, possibly for, for inclusion with a, another Zombies Needs Brains uh, anthology. I do a lot of, uh, in addition to sort of my traditional horror, I've written a, a fair number of crime, crime, serial killer, that that angle to it. And I'm working on a couple pieces for that. Um, and the big thing is I've actually started working on what I'm planning on being my first novel. Oh, excellent. Well, that's great. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, definitely got to write the short stories, but then you got to write that long fiction because that's the stuff that uh, that sells the best. So awesome. Yeah, that's it's I, I've, I, I've really enjoyed doing the short stories over the last couple of years. And I've had a good co considering the time frame that I've been writing I've had a fair amount of success and I've been really happy with it but I've got this, this this gnawing in the back of my head for this novel um that's been you know kind of percolating back there that I need to to get started on great well I'm definitely looking forward to that yeah I definitely your story when you submitted to the Jewish Book of Horror definitely grabbed me and so I'm glad to have that in there and I'm really glad that you could come on the podcast to talk to me thanks no, I appreciate it. It was great. And uh, I'd be happy to come. Anytime you want to have me back, I'd be happy to come back. Sounds great. Well, thanks, Mike. Thanks for taking a trip with me through Josh's Worst Nightmare, where I, Josh Schlossberg, survey the dark landscape of biological horror fiction presented by Denver Horror Collective. If you don't want to miss any of the great and sometimes disturbing weekly episodes I've got planned for you, be sure to subscribe to Josh's Worst Nightmare on a variety of podcast platforms. You can also sign up for Josh's Worst Nightmare e-newsletter at joshsworstnightmare.com, where I share a whole squirming mess of bio-horror, including my infamous haiku horror reviews and my latest dark scribblings. Speaking of which, if you haven't already picked up a copy of my cosmic biological folk horror novella, Moline, from D&T Publishing, you can find a copy of the paperback, hardcover, or ebook at Amazon, Godless.com, or joshesworstnightmare.com. Yours darkly, Josh Schlossberg.